I hope you're well. I have a little problem today, and it is that it's the last day. So here's this thing. When I left the pastorate now 15 years ago, I'd been a pastor for 15 years uh, in another location, now 15 years at Moody. But during this time, I've been an interim pastor five or six times at various congregations, six to nine months. Each time I get a little attached, and then you get torn away and attached. But the great thing is that someday we will part no more. Uh, There are people that have gone ahead uh, of you to be with the Lord, people you long to see, and you will precede others in meeting the Lord. But when that day comes, uh, there are two things that can happen, aren't there? First, the rapture of the church can happen. It could happen today, I, I believe, whereby we're taken into the presence of the Lord in these bodies and we're given new bodies. Or it could be that we precede that grand event and we're buried. And when that trumpet call comes and those who are living are raptured, we will come up out of the ground and be given new bodies which we will inhabit forever. Won't that be a great day? And those bodies will be based on our present bodies. But they'll be free of pain and will be free of all of our psychological hang-ups. Won't that be great to be free of ourselves? I'm so, I am so anxious to be free of Dan. And all the mess he has up here, things are not straightened out yet at all. I mean, a little bit. They're a lot better than they used to be, but there's a long way to go. But someday all of that will be cared for. And we will be like our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, today, he is at the right hand of God the Father as a glorified human being. He has a glorified human body. Jesus Christ will never cease to be human like we are, even though he is also very God. What a person. And someday we're going to go to heaven and share in his glory. So I'm always glad to hear Pastor Gleiman speak forth the gospel because we need to have that record set straight, don't we? We need to have received that righteousness of Christ, which God gives us as a free gift upon our profession of faith. And no church membership at yours or mine or all the good deeds and giving to this and that and attendance at church, none of that will count a thing. Only whether we have received the righteousness of Christ to our account by faith. So I look forward If we shouldn't uh, see each other again, uh, maybe I'll go first. Maybe you will, but someday we will all be together. That is, those who have their accounts straight with God. So I encourage you in this. I would like to see you all again sometime. It would be wonderful. Let's do a little review on our timetables. Remember, because one thing I'm doing on the side of Proverbs is just giving you a little bit of framework for the Bible, trying to figure things out a bit. So 
we have had these various dates. I have said that Abraham should be dated about uh, 2050 B.C., about 4,000 years ago now. Then we can come to Saul, King Saul. Remember the grand monarchy, Saul, David, Solomon. These were the glory years of Israel before the kingdom split under the young fool Rehoboam, Saul's son, who didn't know how to make peace with anybody. So these are all B.C. dates. Now it is interesting if you have, and remember I said Solomon now, that is one of the most accepted dates in all of biblical uh, archaeology, 970 B.C., for the beginning of his Rain. If you have that number and you go to First Kings, you can just check me out to see if I'm being truthful on this. First Kings six one, then you can calculate the day of the Exodus. Because it says In the fourth year of Solomon's reign, what would that be? Don't say 974. You've got to come the other direction, remember? We're in the negatives. So the fourth year is 966, right? So now the date of the Exodus is 966 plus 480 is 1466. 1446, sorry about that. Oh, erase. 1446 B.C. Now, some say it's a little later than that, about 1290, but I can't escape this and this, so the burden's on them. Okay, 1446. Now, remember Daniel and the crew. Uh, Israel had been in rebellion many years. They'd been so greedy they had not let their fields rest. Remember, every seventh year, they were to let that field rest. They had neglected this approximately for 490 years. So God says, I will extract those 70 years that you owe the land, and you will go to Babylon during that time. So God sent Nebuchadnezzar in three installments against Israel. 605, 5 97, 586, these are three waves. And people were carried off. He harvested the young and the best out of Israel. Now the Assyrians, who had been the dominant power before Babylon, had a different way of things. They annihilated societies. They would take a group of people and sift them among all the nations so that they would cease to exist as a people group. But in the providence of God, he sent Babylon against Israel for punishment. The Babylonians had a different way of doing things. They would harvest the best and the brightest and use them in their own kingdom. They would take people in mass. So Daniel and his three friends were taken and used in that government. That way, 
the nation was preserved even though in exile. So now, those 70 years are served, and that is calculated as fully, and they came home now, uh, 539 B.C., Cyrus says, Cyrus the Persian now says, you go home. So God sent Cyrus to succeed Nebuchadnezzar. They get to go home. Now, you can calculate this up here because the Babylonians, even though they came against Israel about 605, they probably ascended to great power about 609. So you can calculate the 70 years this way. 609 to 539, that's one possibility for the calculation of the 70. Or it is possible equally to take the end of this time until 516 B.C. when the temple was rebuilt. That 70 can be derived either from 586, 516, or 609, 539. That gives you a little bit of framework. I would really encourage you to write this down, to think about it, to study it so you have a framework. Because many Christians, they read their Old Testaments. Without that framework, it's very difficult to handle it. So you have then... Uh, the great prophets of the Old Testament, the 16, you have them before, during, and after this period here. That's where those 16 books belong. Well, having said that, so that, that's the introduction. Good morning. <laughs> now for Proverbs. Yesterday, my daughter and I ran for the train at the same time. Every once in a while, we have the privilege of leaving work at the same time. She got out of her nursing shift at Children's Hospital, one of her uh, rare day shifts, and headed home, and I got out of Moody, so we, we took off for the train. Who knows if we'll make it at the same time or not. I said, we've planned, first of all, 438, and then, well, Dad, I can't. I missed the 438. Can we do 513? Yeah, we'll do 513. So I made it there. It's always the same routine. Front car on top. That's where we'll meet. Okay. So uh, I got there with uh, three or four minutes to spare, sat down. I, she wasn't there, and I got a text from her about 507. Dad, I met... Uh, I'm at Washington and Wells. Oh, I said, okay, doesn't sound good, no. Yeah, doesn't sound good. She's going to have to be huffing it. And so I waited, and about 5.13, the train pulled away. And I said, well, we'll get back to Glen Ellen, and I'll be sitting there in the car. I will have gotten it from the remote lot, and I'll pick her up and all. But about 5.14, the text comes in, I made it. You know, I, I jumped in the last car, and I'll be working my way up to you. Well, on the way, uh, on the trip, we got about halfway home, and she said, Dad, did the conductor come by? Yes, he did. Well, he didn't punch my card. I said, well, you can see him later if you want to. And uh, I, I said, aren't you feeling guilty? Well, now, really, in that culture, 
it, you know there are monthly passes and then there are 10 rides and so on. And the monthly pass, you have already paid for it. But the 10 rides, sometimes you get a free ride if it's really congested or if the guy misses you. And I knew she would, what I thought she would do. Well, anyway, as we got ready to get off the train in Glen Ellen, there was the conductor, and she said to him, you missed me before. I'm going to get out my ticket so you can punch it. And he said, no, 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 forget it. But honesty in small things. And we can debate whether she was ethically bound to present her ticket. Probably not. But her conscience said, yes, I need to pay for this. And whether the gentleman received her ticket or not is beside the point. Oh, honesty is a really important thing. Often undetected by the world, it has to do with words and actions. It is first and foremost before God, but it is certainly demonstrated in relationship with others. Most of us think we're pretty honest until we're confronted with the word of God. For instance, if I were to say to almost anybody out in general culture, are you honest? Well, yeah, sure. You know? And then they'll, they'll quote some you know, notorious criminal, and they're better than that person, right? I mean, it's not like I robbed old... Well, you know, I don't say that in this group here. It's, it's not like I take advantage of... Then they, they always... The extreme example is, right, old... You know, well, never mind. It's not like I take care advantage... Oh, but when we are confronted with God's word and the standard of honesty there, it's pretty revealing sometimes. But I invite you into the text today with me because part of real street smarts is doing things God's way when it comes to our words and our actions. And it doesn't make the least bit of difference what the standard of our society is. It doesn't make any difference at all. There's only one standard for ethics and honesty, and it's the standard of the Scripture. So if you'll enter in with me today to the Word of God, and remember again, I am not an authority here. God is the authority. The Scriptures are the authority before which we bow. So, if you will, turn with me as we begin here in 10.9. Here's some benefits of honesty. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. There are eyes, human eyes, that find out aren't there? I am just fine with secret service, with detectives, with investigators, with the IRS. Well, I have no, yeah, I have no guilt before them. I'll say that. Uh, if you are clean. 
you never have anything to worry about, do you? Never. So that's a great blessing. It's a great blessing. I know Christians who uh, didn't pay their taxes for many, many years. Many years. And then it comes out. Oh, man. Oh, man. What shall I do? I, I, I say to myself, oh, man. Ooh. You know, if you go to the IRS, I, I, I don't know anything about any of you, all right? I don't work on the side for the government, anything like that. If you haven't paid your taxes, it's always best to go and tell them. And they'll usually work it out because they want your money. All right? You're probably not going to go to jail as long as you can produce. But before God, it's important to be honest. And it's important for us to be honest about how dishonest we can be. And then for God to use this and encourage us to our standard. When you're talking about honesty, how about that that commandment, you shall not lie? Oh, I guess that has to do with exaggerated gossip and, and turning things in our own favor when we know better and all kind, and then just the outright lying on the witness stand. A lot of stuff there. You shall not lie. Because without fundamental honesty in word and deed, society can't function. So when God set up that theocracy with Israel, he set them up as a holy nation. It was necessary. That's one of the fundamental things. You just can't operate in society unless people are honest with each other. And yet we're sinners, so therefore we have the police department and the FBI and so on. So if your honesty is bad enough, you're in big trouble. But God scrutinizes our actions and our words all the time. So we need to be ready to answer to him. Well, there is 10.9. Now, 19.1, and you can follow right along there. You have the outlines at your disposal if you want them. Also, if I should precede you in death, I know we've mentioned this and you don't like to talk about that, but if I should precede you, I live on in the recordings. All right, so you can pass those on to your friends, review anything that you want to. I still like to listen to J. Vernon McGee, even though he's been about 10 years with the Lord. Uh, he, you know, Roman through Romans and, and so forth. What a guy. But anyway, really, if I precede, you can just burn those things, okay? I'd rather speak to you living than dead. But 19.1, better is a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Remember how I talked to you about the different kinds of parallelisms. There's the synonymous, both lines are the same. There's the antithetic, you have the but, and so forth. This one really might be synonymous, but it's a little suppressed, the second line. I think interpretively it would be this. Better is a poor man whose walk is blameless than a Rich fool whose lips are perverse. 
the assumption is here that one is being contrasted with another. So it's better to be poor and honest than rich and dishonest. Oh, I don't know. I'd really like to be rich. It's better. Now, you can be rich and honest too. That, that's, that's a pretty good alternative, but that's not what's spoken about here. Because really, he is suggesting there are options, there are forks in the road that we take all through our lives. Maybe, for instance, I could invest in pharmaceuticals that lead to the abortion of babies and make a lot of money doing so. Poor choice. Not acceptable. Right? Well, investments are tough, aren't they? You you know, you look at that mutual fund... Almost certainly there's something on there dirty that you don't know about. But it's the ones we know about that need to concern us. It's really much better to be honest and have a clean conscience about how we make our money. How are you doing? You okay? Good. I am too. Motivation here is also the key. I have known uh, secular business people who are not believers who would teach, you should be honest because it's good for your business. Well, that may be, but that's not the motivation for us as believers. We should be honest because we have business to do that is vertical, right? Let's look at 11, 3, and 4. Would someone read this, please? 11, 3, and 4. Oh, here she is. Here, here. Okay. We'll catch you with the next one. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Wealth is worthless in the days of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Yes, thank you. Integrity is wholeness of character. Integrity. Isn't that a great thing to have? Do we have integrity? That means... Right down the line, when she says something, I know just as sure as anything that it's true. In fact, if someone were to say the opposite, I would consider them to be either misinformed or liars. Because I know that when that woman tells me something, she looks me in the eye, I know She's giving it to me straight. Integrity. Don't even have to worry about it. Did you, is that the way you, is that the truth? Oh, of course. You don't even ask them if it's true. As soon as they tell you, you know. You bank on it. 
But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Integrity, duplicity, these are contrary characteristics, aren't they? Duplicity means you say one thing, but you are another. There is one thing that expresses itself publicly, but there is another in the heart. But integrity means that what is formed in our hearts is what people see. It's the old thing, what you see is what you get, right? That's integrity. That's what we want to have. Not phoniness, not faking but Christ living in us and producing these characteristics. How are we doing? Does anyone want to say anything yet? Yes, yes. Do you, wait, wait, he's going to come up here, and then we're going to go back to this one. It, okay, all right. Uh, I, I was just thinking about politics. I mean, we would love to have honest politicians, Christian politicians, but when they give their points of view, if they come out clearly and state them, it seems like society just turns off to them. And so I was wondering if you have any idea about how um, our young Christians can get involved in politics and hopefully... uh, be honest about their beliefs and what we can do to um, encourage that. We do need young Christian women and men to enter politics, any, on any honest and honorable field. I think politics can be honest. You have to, it has to be. There are honest people there. I know we like to make all the jokes about all the professions, one or another, including mine. Oh, yeah, pastors. Oh, look at them. And, you know, and, and so forth and so forth. Politicians take a hit. I think there are large numbers of people who really want to do a good job. There is tremendous pressure to compromise once you get in, deal-making and all of that, and I think you do have to have a cooperative venture. But you also need to know where the line is and the trade-offs you can make. So I believe one of the very best things is for our people, yes, to study in in a good law school, and in a conservative law school, I, I, this is where maybe I could preach to the crowd. I'm not going to, but to one that believes the Constitution uh, is a document that does not change over the years and cannot be. It, you know, there are those schools that are more constitutional in that way. Uh, but also, they need to know the scriptures. They need to have a very strong ethical component. So somewhere along the line, they need studies in Christian ethics. But it's a tough one. Now, Mr. Dean, do you have some Shakespeare to go along with this? Uh, No, I have a little Abner this time. Okay. All right. I always remember that he says, essentially it were so. That's right. And that is the kind of truth that many of us go by. When we send the thing as two days late, and we don't make it very obvious that we are filling our forms out correctly, uh, we're getting by, slipping by under the uh, situation 
when we're not entirely honest. Yes. Well, that's true. And the, the best thing for us as Christians, even if there's going to be a penalty born, we just tell the truth. Tell the truth. Take the hit. It's better than covering our trails, right? You know how that is. Then you have to lie to cover your lie to cover your lie. Uh, wasn't it John Adams that said, you were talking about the Constitution, that said this is a Constitution for a moral people. It is wholly unsuitable for anything else. The interesting, I, I don't know about that quote, so I'll just say I don't know. That's something professors should say too more. Instead of just, well, you know, they, they kind of, I don't know. It's okay. Our Constitution does not work unless a godly people are in the, in the nation. It assumes there will be integrity and faith. I'm telling you that's true. Otherwise, uh, the, the nation will collapse eventually. Well, we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for all of our people in politics. Oh, what a job. What a hard job. Three, just think of this, having responsibility for 300 million people like us. Wow. No, thank you. You have to have a spirit of service to do that work. All right. So, integrity. But how about integrity with your mates, integrity with your children? As I got older... I realized that my parents had told me some lies. They had told me some lies about their marital background. Now, I could tell from my dad's marital background he'd been married one, two, three times because I could see the kids. I mean, that, you know, you can't, that's hard to hide. But then on my mother's side, there had been a, a, a situation when she was very young. And I, I'm not saying you, you tell this to kids when they're five. But somewhere along the line, you need to have a sit-down talk with older children about your background. Say, so it's none of their business. Indeed it is. Because if not, they find this stuff out on their own. And then they say, you are phony. You're phony. So somewhere along the line, I think you have to have that talk. And that talk is so good because here it is. Then they start seeing mom and dad as real human beings. When you're young, you idolize your mom and dad. You think they're right. No matter how wrong they are, you think they're right. You think they're the standard. So you get a little older. And the thing is, if they see where you are, despite some of the stuff you did wrong, it helps them. It doesn't hurt them. It helps them in time because then they say, I guess it's okay. I struggle too. You hear me on this? Yeah, mom and dad struggle. I struggle too. And, and they made it along okay. So I can make it along okay too. So I'm not saying you have to tell them everything, but don't fake it. Oh, I don't know. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe, you know, the grandson. He's 16. He's messing up. You know, when I was your age, I made some bad choices. I want to tell you about them. 
And I want to tell you what happened as a result of those poor choices. And I would like for you not to make them. That's why I'm telling you. Maybe your mom and dad will never tell you, but I'm telling you. That's my story to tell. I went to seminary in Texas, and I would travel from Michigan up by Grand Rapids. Then there would be a stop at St. Louis because I could get a free bed from my aunt and a good meal. So I would go to Aunt Marie. Aunt Marie was the family informant. (laughs) All right? But really, it was good because she told the truth about how things really were. There was a bunch of stuff. You know, I can't quite put this together. Okay, here's how it was. You're old enough to know this. Bang, 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 bang. Thank you, Aunt Marie. Thank you for that. Well, I didn't plan to say any of that today. I just just came. But don't try to fake out your kids. Now, yes, I see you. I'm going to ask for further clarity on what you said to tell other children or Auntie so-and-so. I'm going to say Auntie Angie because she was my informant. However, I recall a situation in my own life where I had a family member come to me and ask me about her mother's role in a family situation. And I said to her, honey, that's not my place to tell you. You need to talk to your mom. Right. Now, did I fail her or did I give her appropriate advice? It all depends. I mean, there's, you need discernment. You need to pray. about. There's no absolute right and wrong in these things. Each situation is a little different. You need to have discernment. My aunt knew there was a lot of faking and that, and she wasn't doing this to be malicious, I'm, I'm quite sure. But uh, she would just say things, she would say, well, I won't say her exact words, but you know, that was a blank fool thing they did then. And this is what happened. You learn from it. So I, I'm not sure quite what to say on that. Pray. But in those circumstances, your answer, I think, is a very good one. But... Um, this shows they already know something's going on, right? Yeah. And by that time, I was headed into ministry. There wasn't anything that was going to shock me that much, to be honest with you. Okay. Get to a place where you're big boys and girls. Don't treat your kids like they're eight years old. Okay. All right. Well, here we go. Now, honesty and business. Honesty and business. Let's look at 1118. It says this, the wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Lying to customers is anathema to the Lord. Lying to customers. 
lying in business, lying to bosses. Shouldn't do it. What a refreshing thing. You're selling a product and the person the person lays out the competitor's deal. And you look at that and you say, well, to be honest, I can't beat that. That's honesty, isn't it? That is honesty. You might get a chance even later on to do some service for that customer because you've told them the truth. The other guy's product is better. We say, oh, you can't do business that way. Oh, yes, you can. I'll go back to that person. But if I find out that you gave me your product that's more expensive and less beneficial, I'm going to tell my friends about you. So what do you say we're not in business? Well, some of you still are. Or you influence people that are in business. Remember this, you're influencers. And I want you to get with younger people in the congregation. Maybe some of you are doing that. Those of you who are in business, those of you who are in education, get a hold of some of the younger people in the congregation. Mentor them. Talk to them about these issues. Tell them the things you did well and the things you did poorly. That will be great. That way you can live on too. I don't know why I have 2014 on there, but you might as well look at it. I'm, I'm, uh, I was sitting there today going over this earlier this morning. I don't know why it's in my... Oh, yes, I do now. Oh, I see. That, yes, I was looking at the wrong thing this morning. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to talk to myself like that. I, I must have... Where was I before today? I have to look that now and see what I was looking at. Yeah, that's the one. I was looking at a wrong reference this morning. I might as well read it now because you're curious. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So all the wives here, if you're ever... You're a gift. You're a gift. Well, that's just for brownie points. But anyway, now 2014. Here's what the guy says about his product when he's buying. That's no good. You're overpriced. No, no, no. It's bad. It's bad. Then you get a deal and say, Woohoo! Did I get a deal? I ripped him off. You see, no. And what you should do in business is you do it in such a way that both parties are served and both parties are happy when the deal is over. I am sorry now, but I'm, I'm just going to say this. I am a lifetime Detroit Tiger fan, and I mean they're good. All right, But that team has been rebuilt by the general manager named Dave Dombrowski. And the reason that he has been able to build the team is that every time he trades, the other team gets value in return. He trades a really good player in an area where the Tigers are covered, 
for a really good player where they're not covered. As a result, he has developed a good reputation. But don't down-talk the product, then brag that you got a good deal afterward. Right? Be honest. Make it work for the other guy, too. That's part of being a believer. That's part of being one of God's people, is you're looking out for the other guy. You really, yes, you want to make money. Yes, you want to do well for yourself, but you want to make this work for both parties, right? It's win-win that we're looking for. Yes, sir. You hope, <clears throat> you hope to, that the person that you uh, trade for is as good as the person that you trade uh, uh, against. In other words, if your man helps that team as much as their man helps your team, it's a good trade. That's exactly right. So the thing of buyer beware, that is a smart thing to watch out for, but you shouldn't have to function that way. Nobody should ever have to function that way with us, right? And a lot of people say, well, the way I got started was by skinning somebody. You go to a garage sale and you pay $20 for a poor person's sterling silver set. They didn't know. You say, buyer, beware. I say, no. You had better say, do you know what you have here? I love to collect baseball cards, only 50s and 60s, so you can't get them very much anymore. But at a garage sale, uh, I, got, I came on to a whole thing of, pay, uh, of baseball cards that a guy was selling. And he only had $40 on them. I, I looked through there. I could see, yeah, there's a bunch of 70s and 80s, but there's a Willie Mays and stuff like that. I felt compelled to say, are you sure about $40? You know this is worth more than $40. Yes, you sure? Okay, then I'll take them. Here's the money. I, I think I, I don't mean just to present myself as the example here, but I, I think we need to do that sort of thing. Look out for the other guy. Yes. Is this a garage sale confession? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I think what you're saying is you should value your relationship with that person that you're doing the deal with. And also, it's about your relationship with God. Yes, that's right. Yes, thank you. Well, clean conscience. Isn't it awful to have a guilty conscience? Oh, man. When I have a guilty conscience over something, you just need to make it right. You need to find that person. You need to make it right with the Lord as soon as possible. We're not going to negotiate this world with perfection. We're going to make some mistakes. We, well, those mistakes, let's just call them sins sins. When we commit those sins, then you determine, well, let's not repeat this. Let's, let's change our ethic a little bit so that we can live happily with others. I have 
Now, I know it's my fault, but there are a couple of times in my life where I have really been taken, been taken in some deal. Thankfully, not for a lot of money, but still for things that were precious to me. And in my heart, I say, I would never trust that person with anything again. Never. Yes. Oh, I had a similar uh, experience. This was many, many years ago, but it was about uh, what I considered a really wonderful example of integrity. I... Um, had answered an ad, I, I think it was for supplemental health care insurance. And since I was growing older and still single and supporting mm-hmm. myself, I decided to better look into it. Yes. And they they asked, uh, they sent it in the mail, and there was a postcard that you should uh, sign and return if you would like, wanted a salesman to call on you. So I thought, well, I'll try it and see what happens if I could, if it would be helpful to me. And uh, soon after that, this uh, gentleman appeared at my door. And he handed me the card that I had sent him to identify himself, which really impressed me because I thought that was a, really a good good way to... Yes. I had signed the card and said I want him to come and see me. Yes. Anyway, so we started talking about it, and he wanted to know if I had coverage, and I said I did, and I told him who my employer was and that sponsored my health insurance. And immediately he said, well, he said, I know what their coverage is, and I can't do any better for you. Yeah, well, that's great. And he closed his book, and I found we just had a little personal discussion and found out that he was familiar with the neighborhood I used to live in, and so we had a very nice reminiscent chat. Yeah. And he slept well that night. And you did too. Thank you. Well, so integrity in business is an important thing. Let's look... We've got a little time thing here. So as we go down there, honesty in business, you see 11, 18, 20, 14, 10, 4, and then these three that are together. Let's look at 2023. 2023. This goes back to the ancient world, naturally. But he says this, The Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. Well, here's the thing. In the ancient world, you have these scales. You go to market every day to buy your food because there are no refrigerators. don't want to talk about refrigerators, really. But anyway, here, here are the scales. And then you would have little weights that are supposed to weigh this much. And you, you take a piece of meat or some bread, you put it on the scale, and then you balance these off. But just like today, there are people who would have weights that were either a little too heavy or a little too light, so they were dishonest. Or you had a scale that wasn't quite right. It was just a little bit off. God does not like that. I remember uh, playing ball in high school, basketball, and I would go then to the fair in town. There would be a a free throw shooting contest. You could get a panda bear for your girlfriend or something like that if you can make two free throws. Or you know, you have to work your way up. You probably start with a Cupid doll, and then the pandas for six free throws. Well, 
you get that ball. That ball's not like anything I've ever touched. I've played a lot. That, that, is that a basketball? And you look up there at that rim. I know not everything is like this, so if there's somebody here related to the fair, don't send me emails. You know, no. My name is PastorGlyman.com. If you know, it's not. It's not. But you know that that bucket, that that rim seems like it's a little shrunken. And maybe it looks like it's a little... Well, you get the picture, right? Everything's supposed to be up to snuff. Some of you are maybe someday going to sell a home, a condo, a car. You need to reveal the problems, right? You need to reveal... You don't... You don't... Uh, you know, Put a little money to the house inspector. Oh, hey, yeah. Yeah, how are you doing? In your hand, there's $100 for the inspector to uh, not tell them about the separation between the rafters and the studs upstairs. So forth. Integrity. Yeah, my car, I want to sell it to you, but every once in a while it gets up to about 55 and says, <laughs> I just want you to know, all right? And that, so his daughter doesn't break down on a dark road someday in your car. But on a scales, we tell the truth. Honesty in business. What if I got rich dishonestly? What should I do with the money? That's a good question. Use it well. Confess it to the Lord. Give a lot of it away. Make restitution to whom you can. Restitution is a major biblical principle. It means if you did somebody wrong, you make up for it. Restitution sometimes is verbal. I'm so sorry. I lied to you. I gossiped about you. I ask your forgiveness for that. And I feel really badly we had that exchange of money for, for a product. I, I just want you to take some money back. I don't feel, maybe I, it just wasn't quite right. I feel really good if you'd take a little money back. Honesty before the Lord. 20, or 1222. 1222. Someone read this. There we go. Right here. You've been trying all morning. Now we're here. Thank you for that. 1222. 
The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Yes. It's interesting in this book, the Lord is in the background in a lot of things, isn't he? Because some of this is just common sense anybody could pick up. But really, God is in the background of the book of Proverbs, his Holy Spirit. So the Lord detests lying lips. Oh, he does not like dishonesty. Sometimes we exaggerate too, don't we? Our children, a lot of us, we we talk about them like, they're the greatest thing since apple pie. We brag on them. And the fact is, what is it? Is it... uh, is it Lake Woebegone, where everybody's child is above average? You know what? Average means average, and that some of our kids, they're just average. That's okay. Some of them are below average. That's okay, too. You can love them. So you don't have to... Your children are bragging, exaggerating a bunch of stuff. Oh, boy. You know, I just got an average lovable kid. If that's not okay with you, that's your problem. He doesn't have to be the head brain surgeon at Harvard Medical School. If somebody's kid here is, just keep that to yourself. I'm, I'm kidding. Yes. I remember a joke once where uh, a, a merchant had an awful-looking suit that he'd been trying for years to get rid of and uh, didn't get it. And uh, finally somebody wandered in and bought it and it paid a ridiculous price for it. And so uh, this fellow said... Uh, they were trying to define integrity. And he says, well, here's an example of integrity. Shall I tell my partner? <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it great to be honest? One of the things when you teach, it's easy to make it sound like you're mad at everybody. I, I know you're honest. Most of the time. We're living under the power of the Holy Spirit and doing well. But it's good to know, isn't it? If we're doing things right, it's good to know we're doing them correctly. Now, the judicial system. Here's our opportunity to judge everybody else. Because I'm just and they're not. All right, let's read about this. Witnesses in a dispute. How many have ever been called as a witness to court? Have you? Doesn't have. Sometimes, yeah. Boy, let, let's read about this here. Fourteen five. Fourteen five. Would someone read this? Here she is. A truthful witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. Yes. Now, you talk about having a just society. Our, Our law is built 
on the assumption of truthful witnesses. It's, it's, if they're not, you know, our Lord was turned over to death by lying witnesses, wasn't he? Trumped up. The Apostle Stephen was killed due to the due to false witnesses. Sometimes we can even be proactive. I was coming the other day uh, from the train. It seems like my whole life's on the train, doesn't it? But I was, I was coming, and here there was a lady at the Glen Ellen Library, and she backed out, kaboom, into another car that was parked, and the people weren't there. So I was kind of walking along sort of next to another lady, and she stopped. She said to me, I wonder if that person is going to report this. So she stood there with a pad, took it out of her purse, wrote down the license number of the car that caused the boom, and she waited there. And I think the person pulled back in and probably did call their insurance. But she was going to take that and sign her name probably in phone number and put it on the car that got hit. That's proactive witnessing, isn't it? It's protection of integrity in a culture. So we need to have good witnesses in a, in a dispute. 14.5 Oh, we did. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. 1425. I, I looked at that. Yeah. Uh-huh. A truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful. You know, we're still paying the price for all the judicial discrepancies that took place against African Americans in our culture. In the Deep South, all kinds of stuff trumped up all the time. Uh, Wrong sentences of of African American man did something, he'd get 25 years, the white guy would get five. And disproportionate murder sentences and all of that. I will tell you, God hates that with a passion. He hates it. He hates it. So one of the things here, as Christians, we need to be for impartiality. We need to hate what God hates. We want people to be treated justly in a society. There are honest people honest judges, honest attorneys. But as Christians, we need to be for equity in the courtroom, in sentencing. I, I was a criminal justice major in college, so it's just they, there should be equity. One of the things the book of Proverbs assumes, too, is there is no them and us. You understand that? Do you have a them and us 
mentality sometimes. Well, you know, yeah, we're we're here. We're we're great. We're trying to protect ourselves from them. There's no them in us. We are a country. We are a country. And the Bible, now the Bible was written to a God-fearing nation, which we are not at this point, unfortunately. But nevertheless, it assumes that we are for one another. So as we're dealing with honesty, let us think of this. Be for your neighbor. Be honest. Insist upon justice for them. Tell the truth yourself. Get Come back to that golden rule, right? Do unto others. So that means speak unto others as we would be spoken to and so on. God can help us. Maybe you're convicted. I always get convicted from the scriptures, don't you? I mean, if, if you listen to the Bible, I say this to myself. If you listen to the Bible, you don't get convicted. You weren't listening very well. I mean, every one of us has some area, something here to improve upon in the area of honesty. But God's Holy Spirit stands by us. He always encourages us to say and do the right thing. So we can improve in our honesty greatly. We can be used by him and have a testimony for him in that. Perhaps that will even then open the way for us to share the gospel of Christ with someone who needs this so badly. Well, thank you for six weeks to uh, together and I appreciate this and uh, may God use it con in a continual way in, in your lives.